loves you and she is sorry she can't be here. But yesterday was my niece's uh, wedding shower and she was a major participant in that and she couldn't miss that. And then she works as a nurse on uh, Tuesdays and Wednesdays. So she is um, the office manager at her doctor's office. So it's kind of hard for her to get away, but she does send her regard. And um, this is one of the few places that she doesn't have to worry about me because she knows I'll be taken care of. And I want to say this, and James and John are the biggest proof of it I've ever seen. A good man marries up. A good man marries up. I knew these boys before they got married. And uh, when they chose their wives, I was really, really thankful to God because they needed to be rescued and uh, to uh, look at John now with a great gray in his beard and his beautiful children. Your wife is a, is a gift from heaven. That's a fact. That's a fact. Yeah, and uh, I, I, I was I was talking to I think Brother Ken. Uh, I I um, before my stroke, I would run every morning with a hundred pounds on my back, and people would say, "Well, how far do you go?" And I said, "I really don't really keep account because uh, the only reason I run is because I want to complete my prayer list." And it's 236 names on my prayer list. And uh, so I would see Ken every morning in my, when I would pray. And um, and they said, 236 names? Boy, I just hate the fact of seeing someone I know and love and have to say to them, I'm not praying for you. And uh, several years ago, I got very convicted about that and uh, decided to do something about it. And um, that is one of the downside of me wearing, uh, having a stroke is I can't run like I used to. And neither can I walk like I used to. So I'm getting it back. I went to my doctor Thursday and he was really amazed. He said, wow, you come so far. This man gives me at least 21 shots in one leg in one part of my leg, the calf. And no, it does not feel good. Um, I'm, th- I'm afraid to drink water because I think I'll leak. But I'm trying to witness to him. He's a very nice young man. Uh, I'm trying to witness to him and, and uh, hopefully uh, to bear fruit. But uh, he says I'm getting much better. And uh, I praise God for it. Uh, I would ask you to turn in your Bibles to Mark chapter 4. Now, I'm, I, I said Mark chapter 4, but let me read for you in, in the context of Mark chapter 4, Isaiah 43, verses 1 and 2. But now thus saith the Lord that created thee, O Jacob, and he that formed thee, O Israel, fear not. For I have redeemed thee. 
I have called thee by name, thou art mine. When thou passest through the waters, I will be with thee. And through the rivers, they shall not overflow thee. When thou walkest through the fire, thou shalt not be burned. Neither shall the flame kindle upon thee. And just verse 3 for context. For I am the Lord thy God. Not just the Lord God, but I'm the Lord thy God. The Holy One of Israel, the Savior. I gave Egypt for a ransom, Ethiopia and Saba for thee. Um, Mark chapter 4, starting at verse 35. And the same day when the even was come, he said unto them, let us pass over unto the other side. And when they had sent away the multitude, they took him, even as he was in the ship. And there was also with him other little ships. And there arose a great storm of wind, and the waves beat on the ship, so that it was now full. And he was in the hinder part of the ship, asleep on a pillow. And they awake him and say unto him, Master, carest thou not that we perish? And he arose and rebuked the wind and, and said to the sea, Peace be still. And the wind ceased and there was a great calm. And he said unto them, Why are you so fearful? How is it that you have no faith? And they feared exceedingly and said one to another, What manner of man is this? that even the wind and the sea obey him. Let's look into our Father's face. We thank you, Lord, for your word. You're the comforting aspect of your word, that in every situation you are Lord, complete Lord. You're not guessing. You're not surprised. You are Lord. Everything is done by your divine edict. Help us, Father, to realize that and put our trust solely in you. In Jesus' name. Amen. I'm sure you know by now, trouble comes on an ordinary day. Trouble does not announce itself. It doesn't say, hey, here I am. I'm coming by tomorrow. Trouble comes on an ordinary day. I had a chance to, uh, many years ago, speak to a survivor of Pearl Harbor. And that's one of the first things out of his mouth. The day was so beautiful. It started so ordinary. We were resting in peace. And the next few minutes, we're in the middle of a war. You look in the crib and you see the merger of love, two individuals, two parents coming together. And you see so much hope and so many dreams, so many aspirations. And you don't know what will befall that child. You don't know if he's going to grow up bucktooth. Or you don't know if he's going to be pigeon-toed. You don't know if she's going to um, have skin problems. You don't know if she's going to marry a bum. You don't know those things. But all the hopes and aspirations you ever had 
for this individual. I'm born on that day. And this day started as just about every other day the disciples had been with Jesus. And he started by teaching on the seashore. And remember that when it comes to the Lord Jesus Christ, location is everything. If he's talking in the mountains, he's talking about the person of God and the wonder of heaven. If he's talking at the seashore, his whole point is to take man's perspective and, and, and adjust the focus. So that's where the parables are, are mentioned. And if he talks in the temple, is teaching because he's purifying not only the temple, but hopefully man's heart. He's teaching in the temple something that is valuable and something that uh, reminds man of God's holiness and his obligation to him. If he's talking on the sea, he's taking man's perspective a step further. It's testing. It's about faith. Whenever he's on the sea, there's a something to be learned about what you really believe. And of course, if he talks in the middle of a storm, he's showing his great power. Showing who he really is. A side of him that the world is not allowed to see. We all go through storms. Either you got the phone call yesterday, you'll get the phone call today, or it'll ring tomorrow. It's part of the franchise. Trouble comes on an ordinary day. And the real metal of a godly Christian is not how they weather the storm, but how they keep their eyes on the Savior. The whole, the whole issue is, can we still see Jesus? No matter how dark it is outside, no matter how cloudy, no matter how bad the rain is, can we still see Jesus? Uh, I was riding with Jimin and his brothers in New York in um, March of 1980, uh, 2018, and we were hanging out. As I, I usually come to New York, and I call his brothers first because I love being with them. Tony, uh, Tom, and Jivin, and uh, we're going to go get something to eat, something spiritual. And um, the phone rang, and it was my wife, and she said, come back to the hotel. Why? Why? What's happening? Please come back to the hotel. Well, I'll come back after the movie. No. Come back to the hotel. And I drove back to the hotel, and... She looked up at me with tears in her eyes and said, your sister-in-law called. Your brother has died. I said, he's died. She's at the hospital now. And they, they say he's died. So I didn't believe her, of course. And I called and I said, uh, uh, how is he doing? And, and she said, um, doesn't look good. So I called my son, Lear. And I told him to go pick up my mother and my brother and take him to the hospital and then call me back. And I called my best friend, Sanford McQueen, and asked him if he would meet my mother at the hospital. And um, he did. 
And Lear called me back and he said two words that I didn't want to hear. He's gone. He's gone, Lear. He's gone. They started out ordinary. It started out ordinary. Nothing announced its presence. My sister-in-law said that they were enjoying each other. They were watching a movie together. She had gone briefly into the bathroom and came back, and he was gone. Just like that. My brother was the healthiest human being I had ever met. But he was gone. Two months later, the doctor said that the perfect storm happened in my life. I had just eaten some barbecue. I was still reeling over my brother's death. I had just entertained a house load of people, and I was sitting down in my den uh, on Memorial Day. And when the night wore on, I got up to go to bed at 10 o'clock like I always do. And my right leg didn't work, and I struggled to get upstairs. And Lear came out of his bedroom, and he said, what's the matter? I said, I don't know. I, I, my right leg doesn't work. And he said, let's get into your office. So he helped me go to my office, sit down, and he went and called my wife. And she said, smile. And I smiled. She said, that's the best smile you can give? I said, that's the best smile I got. And uh, she said, uh, hold out your hands. And I held on my hands, and she said, write your name. And for the life of me, ladies and gentlemen, I couldn't write my name. And she says, you're having a stroke. You're having a stroke. And the doctors, and I had a, a whole bank of doctors come and examine me. And they said, you know, the compounded equation of your brother's death, what you had to eat, the way you had run the day, caused you to have a minor stroke. Trouble comes on an ordinary day. See, remember what the passage said in Isaiah 43. When? That means it's going to happen. It's going to happen. When thou. That means it's going to happen to you. Passeth through. That means the same God who brought you into this situation can bring you up. So let's look at the storm. Let's look at the location where his power, his great power is manifest. And I promise I won't keep you long. We'll be done in four or five hours. We'll, <laughs> it won't take long at all. But I do want you to look at something. And I want to ask you four simple questions. And we need to, to let those things germinate in our mind. It says here in the passage, and you know the passage very well. The same day when the even was come, he said unto them, let's pass over unto the other side. Now, what we have here is one of the most complete statements ever made on the planet Earth. Jesus states his destiny and the absolute certainty of his conclusion. Let's pass over to the other side. Nothing can change that. Someone once asked me, Dwight, can you lose your salvation? I said, wait a minute. Why would you want to? Hey, do, you, do you realize what's the alternative? 
Next, did you save you? Uh, no. Did you die on the cross for you? No. Well, leave it alone. He did it. He has to fall out of the sky and stop being God for my salvation to be ruined. I am, my salvation is secure in him. Absolutely. The security of the saint shouldn't even be an issue. He said it. He said it. And the, the nuts to come along and say, you can lose your salvation. Let them lose theirs. But yours is secure. And, and, and like that, here's the certainty of his command to the, to the disciples. Let us pass over to the other side. No matter what happens, no matter who involves themselves, this is going to happen. Storms may come on an ordinary day, but God is still God. God is still God. It may be a fierce situation. You may not like it, but God is still God. When thou passest through the water, the next statement is, I will be with you. With you. In this passage of scripture, Jesus says very plainly, I'm stating for you the most important statement in the universe. You are allowed by God to enter into his rest. This is going to happen. Let's pass over to the other side. No matter hell or high water, we're going to get to the other side. We're going to get to the other side. People ask me, Dwight, have you ever had uh, situations where you had to deal with uh, people who were possessed and or oppressed and all that kind of stuff? I said, yeah. How'd you deal with it? No big deal. Why? Because greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. I don't get scared. I don't worry about people turning their heads around and throwing a ball. Oh, so what? Greater is he that is in me. Weren't you afraid of what? Vomit? Vomit? Is that what devil? That's what you're afraid of? What about strange things happens? Greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. And I stand on that. I stand absolutely on that. He said, let's go to the other side. Now, in this passage of scripture, it doesn't take much for you to figure out what's going to happen next, because chapter five always follows chapter four. OK. Disciples make it over to the other side. Really? Surprise, surprise. That's exactly what he said. And then the scripture goes on and tells us it says this. And they when they sent him away, when they had sent away the multitude, they took him even as he was in the ship. And there was also with him three other ships. Um, with him other ships, and there arose a great storm of wind. The word great is the word we all know, mega, mega. But the word storm is the Greek word lilops, and it always means a typhoon. A storm that nobody expected. Clear skies become angry. A storm of wind that 
scholars tell me is actually that it actually starts a, a, a whirlpool in the water so intense that you can almost see the bottom. And these disciples who most of them are used to working around water and on bad inclement days were absolutely terrified and, and noticed something. Two of the most painful and heartless questions that Jesus ever heard on the planet Earth. One came from from Martha and one from his disciples. Don't you care? Don't you care that Mary sits here while I'm doing all the work? Don't you care? That we're perishing. Don't you care? How could you say to, to Jesus, to God the eternal, the almighty God who died on the cross for you? How can you ever fix your mouth and say, you don't care? You don't care. How, how can you do that? Every child at some point in his life either thinks or says to his parents, you don't care. As I heard a kid say once in a toy store, if you love me, you would give it to me. You don't care. And how many times in our anger and our frustration, in our selfishness, we say to God, if you really cared, you do this. So if you really cared, you let me have this. How many frivolous and unimportant times I've said to God, please give me this. Please give me that. If you didn't, if you cared for me, you'd let me have that girl who's been married five times. Give me what I want. Give me that hot rod car so I can get a couple more tickets. Let me let me do this my way. And a loving parent looks beyond the situation and realizes what's best for the child. And God heard them say, "Do you, don't you don't don't you care? Don't you care?" And he had to ignore it and see past their present situation for their whole life. Because God is always working for two things, saints. Don't ever forget it. His glory and your good. No matter what your situation, always say, this is for his glory and my good. It may not feel like it's for your good, and you can't see how he's going to get the glory, but it's there. It's there. Wait a minute, Dwight. Wait a minute. I'm at the graveside of a loved one. How can this be for God's glory? How can this be for my good? You're not God. And I know that it's hard to see those things through the tears. But your father loves you. He's the one that sees the end from the beginning. Trust him. Trust him. Like Job, yea, though he slay me, yet will I trust him. Trust him. So I want to just focus on this. Four questions and I'm going to leave you alone. First question is, do you realize who actually is Lord of the storm?
It's a storm. It's a storm. But do you realize greater than the wind, greater than the rain, greater than all the, the swirling, who is Lord over the storm? And not only that, the storm is not a surprise of his. The storm is the plan of his. It's his plan. Every single thing that happens in your life, God knew about. Every single storm, no matter how intense, no matter what the consequences, is his plan. It's hard to sing, great is thy faithfulness, when your brother has died. Someone who loved the Lord and served him all his life. Great is thy faithfulness. Morning by morning, new mercies I see. How can you stand to live for a God who takes somebody who's so important in your life? Everything I've ever needed, you always provided. Your glory, your glory, my good. The second question is this. Who's in control of the ship? In other words, your life. Your life. Not Certainly not the destiny that you hoped would happen. Certainly not the, the pomp. Not all the, not all the exciting things that you wanted to fulfill in your life. Not all the, the glories. Who's in control of your ship? Someone once asked me, Dwight, why, why is it that I can't get my ears pierced? Now, this wasn't a girl that asked me this. Uh, why, why can't I, I, can't, can I, I pierce my belly button? Why is it that I can't tattoo my face? And I said, I can't say this to everybody. But I can say this to you because you claim Jesus Christ as your Savior. Right. I claim Jesus Christ as my Savior. And I said, well, have you ever read 2 Corinthians? Uh, Kind of, yeah. You ever read 2 Corinthians 6? Uh, I'm sure I have. Well, I would invite you to read it again. Because there's one phrase that stands out that should answer your question completely. You are bought with a price. You are not your own. See Calvary. Christ paid for your body. And it's no longer yours. So you can't take something. That is his. And defame it. You cannot choose. What goes on to his body. How would you like it one day. If somebody came along. And uh, asked to borrow your car. And then paint, paint it a different color. Chartreuse with a yellow stripe up the middle. But they give it back to you and said, doesn't that look nice? It's not your car. Why did you do this? Well, I thought it would look nice. Who cares what you think? It's not yours. Likewise, this is not my body. I told my wife, I said, um, uh, Joel in Texas is going to Utah 
and he wants to do some mountain climbing. I told her this two weeks ago. And she said, so? And she said, uh, I said to her, well, I want to go with him. And she said, you can go, but my body stays here. Huh? God promised you that this is not your body. It is now given to me. Now you can go leave my property here. Well, honey, that doesn't work. Hmm. Wonder why. And oh, by the way, and this is one I really hated. Uh, she said, um, I don't want my body to have any extraneous kind of foods. Like, what kind of foods? Well, I allow you one Pepsi a month. Now, Pepsi is a gift from God. <laughs> it's no doubt in my mind that they'll have Pepsi in heaven. But I would drink one, one liter of Pepsi a day. That's to show how spiritual I was. And she said to me, no, you can have one eight ounce Pepsi a month. And you have to get it from me. Do you understand? And you have to drink 10 glasses of water a day. Are you trying to drown me? No. So you can see my wife is, although she is a wife, she's a warden too. God is doing everything for your glory, for his glory and your good. He's looking out for his property, but he's also loving the person that inhabits that body. He loves it. And the scripture tells us that we have more than just an issue of the storm. We have the divine edict. Pass over to the other side. There's a storm. We're going to perish. Didn't I say we'd pass over to the other side? Yeah, well, that's the only thing that matters. What I said. What I said. Who's in control of the storm? Who's in control of the ship? And then the next question is this. Who's control? Who's in control of the shore on the other side? What is so important about the other side that Satan is willing to kill you so you don't get there? What about the eventuality of passing over to the other side scares Satan so much? He's not brave. He's not strategic. He's scared. What scares him? And the destruction of his kingdom so much that he'll do anything to stop you from getting there. What's over there? What's over there? How is God's testimony going to be advanced? How is the kingdom of darkness going to be destroyed? What does you obeying God in every way, in every facet? do to tear down that kingdom. A young man was uh, saying to me, why does 
me being gay and doing the things that I do upset you so much? I said, it doesn't upset me. And what you do, you're going to hell anyway. I said, but I'm afraid of the lives that you're going to affect. You decided this is what you want to do and, and this is how you want to be, fine. But I'm worried about the lives you affect. What lives? Everything here is that I've done was consensual. I said, is that right? When that man, your mother's hairdresser, abused you when you were eight, did you have a choice? Uh, well, no. I don't know, but he did me a favor. No, he didn't. He abused you for his own glory, for his own fulfillment. And you're doing the same thing. I'm wondering with your perverted lifestyle, whose lives you're going to affect. I'm not trying to be inclusive. It's not that I'm a homophobic. I'm worried about who you affect. What is so important about the other side? I was speaking in Des Moines and I had just finished my message and he ran up to the podium and he said, Brother Dwight, can you come to back as soon as possible? I said, yeah, what, what happened? Well, it's important you come to the back. And I took off, went to the back and there he was, Dwayne. Now, usually Dwayne was made up. He had earrings, makeup, hair coughed perfectly. He looked as feminine as he could be. He had big eyelashes that seemed to say hello every time he blinked. But at this point, his mascara had run. His eyelashes were crooked. His hair was all messed up. And his clothes was stained with the makeup because they had been stained by his tears. And he said, Dwight, can Jesus save me? I said, of course he can, Dwayne. He can save you right now. He said, right now? I said, right now. He said, makeup and all? I said, makeup and all. And Dwayne gave his heart to the Lord Jesus Christ. And boom, in an instant. Whatever was holding him, whatever bondage was holding him, let him go. And for the first time, I heard him speak like a a young man. And not like a in a feminine cartoon. And he said, wow, I didn't think God would save me. I didn't think God wanted to save me. Why wouldn't he want to save you? He said, I've done so much wrong. I'm so ashamed. I said, not anymore. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creation. You're brand new. And so two days later, I was supposed to be in Des Moines for 10 days. Two days later, he called me on the phone. I didn't recognize him. He said, Dwight, this is Dwayne. And, uh, oh, okay, Dwayne. Yeah, uh, can you pick me up? Sure. Where are you? He told me where he was, and I drove over there. He said, will you go downtown? And I looked at him. He looked so, totally different. He looked like a, a strong young man, assured of himself. And I said, well, you tell me where to go. I'll take you anywhere. And I drove to a spot, and the name of the place was a big building, and it was an after-hours club called Paradise. And I said, Dwayne, where are you taking me? 
He said, Dwight, this is a gay club. Okay. Do you want to be dropped off here, Dwayne? He said, no, I want you to go in with me. Okay. And so we got out the car and went inside and all the perversions and lifestyles were there. And um, he walked up to the bartender. He said, Al. He said, and the bartender turned around and said, yes, can I help you? He said, you don't recognize me, do you? And he said, no, who are you? He said, I'm Sunshine. Sunshine? Baby, what happened to you? And for the first time, I saw it. That chest bulged out. And he said, I got saved. He saved me. He saved me. Who saved you? And he looked at me and he said, Jesus Christ. He said, I've been born again. And these words came out of Al's mouth. Praise God. Because if anybody needed saving, you do. He says, you know, Al, everyone needs saving, including you. And all the people that knew him as sunshine began to gather around him and ask him the questions. What happened? Can anyone get saved? Tell me how it happened. What do you believe now? What do you think of me? Do you have any urges? And right there in front of that room, for the first time in his life, Dwayne shared his testimony. I don't know how many people got saved. But for God's glory, he talked about a Christ that could change. What's so important about the other side that Satan would do anything to keep you from getting there? From seeing God in his glory. And finally, the question that the disciples said at the end of the story here in verse number 41. And they feared exceedingly and said one to another. What manner of man is this? That commands the winds and the waves and they obey him. Have you really considered for yourself who you are, who he, who it is that you are dealing with? Do you understand how great he is? And notice here, the scripture says, and they feared exceedingly. Now they were afraid on the water, but has the fear of who God is dwarfed the fear of the storm? Do I have God as big in my mind that he's bigger than the storm? Big storms can come. So what? My God is greater. My God is greater. In my weakest hour, I have to admit to you, I was looking at my, cir- my circumstances. I was in the hospital for five weeks. And Satan told me over and over again, if God loves you, well, you wouldn't be here. You were God chosen. This wouldn't have happened to you. For five weeks, every single hour I was awake, Satan would bombard me with statements that challenged my faith. But his glory, my good. Every single doctor I had was a Muslim. By the end of my stay, Every doctor was saying, 
Maybe I need to change God's. When I go visit my my uh, personal physician, I would hear him say outside the examining room, my salvation is in the room six. This is the man that's going to convert me. Not because he saw any great power in me, but he saw the miraculous, ever wonderful working of God. Have you placed God on the pedestal that he needs to be that only he can occupy forever and ever in your life? What do you do, Mr. Knight? Oh, I'm just a servant of God. What kind of servant of God? Uh, whatever he needs. I didn't ask to be a preacher. I didn't ask to be a song, singer. I didn't ask to be a musician. I wanted to be God's glove. He could fill me with his hand and do whatever he wants. So my assignment this month is to have a stroke and witness to the doctors in this hospital. Is that the way you see it? That's the way I see it. I live for his glory. I live for his glory. I don't say to God, what is wrong with you? What are you doing? Why did you do this to me? Greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. And I cannot tell you how many times I've had a chance to witness of his greatness and his glory. Every restaurant, what happened to you? Oh, I had a stroke. Really? Why? For God's glory. People don't have have strokes for God's glory. They have strokes for this and that. No, this one is for God's glory. Wow. Tell me more. Ladies and gentlemen, don't have a selfish perspective of your storm. We all go through storms. That's that's going to happen. But know that God is more powerful than the storm and the storm is still doing his will. Yeah, there may be some things he's trying to teach you, but at the end, he wants to get glory for himself and he's doing everything for your good. For your good. I'm one of them strange people. I don't know if you are, Ken. I'm one of those strange people who believes in imprecatory prayers. And not every time I'm praying for somebody is, does it sound good? I'm not saying, Lord, please bless so-and-so. No, I'll, I'll pray that God will send storms and trouble in their life so they can get their life straight. I'm praying that. Paul prayed that. Jesus prayed that. God's will be done. I want to say with all my heart that there's no part of my life as a Christian. I've been saved now for about 57 years. I got saved when I was four years old. And there's no part of my life that I wish I could take back because it was all in his power for his glory. Thank God for the storms. Thank God for the wind, for the waves, for the unexpected times. So I can see his greatness and his glory over and over again. Father, we thank you for your word. We pray, oh God, we ask that even when the storms may come.
that we'll trust in the anchor of your son, the power of your spirit to keep us. And in no way is your power or your greatness in any way compromised, but help us to see it and to rely on it, Father. Your word being all the truth we need of who you are. In this, we would honor you and live a life that would glorify you. So your name will be praised and for our good. In Jesus' name, amen.